Okay. Okay. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, and variations thereof, welcome to the Selectives Lorecast, a casual Elder Scrolls podcast and not a podcast about Brexit. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my name is Rotten Deadite. Yeah. My name is Rotten Deadite, and with me today are. I am Felix, also known as Banu Hanamasaishi. I am James, also known as Aramethius. <laughs> and LJ just dropped. <laughs> Damn it. <Yeah. laughs> He'll be back. Uh, and the uh, person who was here was LJ. But, yeah. Uh, he can introduce himself when he gets back in here. Yeah. Um, and so today we're talking about the Reachmen, which uh, I just want to begin by saying uh, I uh, really, really underestimated how much material there was here. There's, yeah. especially with ESO, there's actually <laughs> buckets of information about, um, oh, look, I've got my uh, desktop up. There's actually buckets of uh, information about the, um, about the Reachmen that, uh, that they put out and how they operate. And we've already kind of touched, touchy-touchied a little bit on it in the past, but um, uh, now we're actually going to dive in. Uh, and... Um, uh, does anybody have anything that they want to bring up first? Because I'm because I'm mostly really excited about the uh, about the Briar Hearts, and we can go into that whenever. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I say that James goes first, considering uh, this takes part in High Rock, which is heavily implied to be basically the Western Europe analog. Oh, James, uh, <laughs> right. You've got the right hey, you've got the right accent for it, James. So let's somewhere. let's. Yeah. There we go. I promise it's the last one. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, they they basically it's it seems to be another one of those kind of cultural dumping grounds in the Elder Scrolls. I've mm. I've not managed to see anything precisely where and precisely where they started, but um the the Reachman ethnic group are Bret are Bretons and a whole mix of other stuff. Um, but there's no real account as to quite where quite where they came from. The way that um, it, the way that I understand it is that it was when the Nordic Empire started to recede and lost an awful lot of its an awful lot of its territory. They were kind. They were kind of what happened in the back and forth between mm-hmm. um, what was going to, what was going to become High Rock and the, and the Nordic Empire. So, and um, they they were kind of the, the the middle ground and haven't really stopped being the middle ground. Um, yeah. very, very much. Do I do I remember right? Do I remember that that Skyrim ha- has? Oh, uh, sorry. In the in the fourth era, um, there was actually some territorial back and forth right oh, yeah. before mm-hmm. the game was due to start. So um, that seems to be the kind of their jam um, going <laughs> throughout history. It's it of, does. They're, they they're doing the, the same thing in ESO. Yeah, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the in between people who are neither one thing nor the other. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was almost thinking, are they the human pariah folk? But they're Ooh. not really the human. They're not. Well, they, they, there's some there's some stuff in Orsinium that's uh, uh, that that sort of draws parallels between the uh, the Reachmen and the Orsimer in very in very similar tones of yeah. uh, a culture that the uh, that the Reachmen have been appropriating from from the orcs and um, and uh, and material that like uh, ways that their their worship is similar and ways that they hate each other because their worship is somewhat similar. But that might have also just been like, actually, I kind of want to like roll that back, that statement back now, because I think that was actually speaking specifically about one particular group of Reachmen, not all mm. Reachmen in general. So, yeah, 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 well, I think that's safer. It, it is worth mentioning um, that it is uh, implied, and I think there is a book reference that says that the Reachmen first learned hedge magic from the orcs. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Who, yes. And the orcs are also more than likely um, the ones who introduced them to worshipping Daedra, especially in the form of Malakath, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's definitely this kind of um, early connection between their peoples, um, but obviously it's still a completely different um, peoples and cultures. But one could sort of safely assume that the orcs were like, Hey, here's how to do like very basic magic stuff. And by the way, let me introduce you to my really horrible god Malakath. <laughs> yeah, and then they were like, okay, so I don't like, like that objectively god. horrible. I like, yeah. I like the Daedra, so let's work with that. Yeah, <laughs> don't let now, don't let it freak yeah. you out. <laughs> but he kind of used to be poop. Yeah. Okay, don't now, just hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, from that you get to general decay and rotting with the mirror. Um, yeah, and and th- and from their fecundity and so on and so forth. But, yeah, which is actually. 
it's actually kind of interesting. I actually, I started thinking about can you kind of um, can you kind of twist Namira to the point of being an agriculture deity? Um, because you've got that kind of oh. idea of, of of entropy and everything must <laughs> decay, go back to the land, etc. Yeah, I mean Reachman Reachman. Uh, um, as far as we've seen them, haven't been ones much for farming, but I can imagine that's where you'd start. The kind of the understanding of hunt, hunt, hunter-gatherer, they, they do worship her scene, that's mm-hmm. kind of a given, um, but the whole kind of cycle of life thing, you can get mm-hmm. that kind of an angle out of Namira very yep. easily. Yeah, and, and any, any, any god or entity or whatever that deals with transitions of any kind, you can kind of squint and kind of get a life and death thing out of it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you can do that. Um, Even Azura, you can also, kind of you can kind of manhandle Azura into a god of um of um into a Daedra of uh, death and rebirth or whatever. But yeah, I was you really you've got to squint pretty hard. <laughs> I was thinking about that because Azura isn't really called out with the Reachmen, whereas Namira is. Yeah, they go for the slightly the more icky ones, so to mm-hmm. speak, in terms of in terms of the the modern way of th- or the usual way of thinking about the Daedra. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> Well, it it is also um, important to point out that uh, like H- High Rock isn't completely uniform as a political entity until recently, and the Reachmen inhabit yeah. the very like mountainous, like <clears throat> um, the the western reach is in the easternmost part of High Rock, mm. and then the rest of the reach is in Skyrim, which is why we saw them in the Elder Scrolls Five. Yeah. Um, because of that, and that's also where you know the orcs are, it is very much hard living. You know, you got like snow swept mountains, craggy little valleys. So, yeah, a hunter gatherer society is probably going to form and they're going to be very obsessed with strength because someone has to be strong to survive or thrive in that environment, mm-hmm. which explains, you know, the, the briar hearts, the very selective kind of like. I don't know if they're necessarily chiefdoms within the reach. Like we, we know that uh, Matanak or Matanach, however you pronounce his name, mm-hmm. is considered uh, the king in rags. Um, but in, in the way they're kind of meant to look and are organized, they're basically like a bunch of little chiefdoms and the the protectors of the various like redoubts and whatnot are like these creepy ass Briarheart guys. Yeah. So, I, you know, it, it, the, the whole aspect of Orcs introducing them to Malakath and Namor with like rot and <clears throat> decay. It's probably like uh, as equally informed by their environment as it is mm. a cult, something of cultural importance, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Although they did have slightly more expansive domains, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit more detail later. I mean, the Lang- Longhouse yeah. Emperors were a thing, but I'm thinking that the, 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 the association with. Um, the association with those sorts of Daedra goes back quite a way. Um, and I was also thinking Red Eagle as well. I'm fairly mm-hmm. certain that we have a um, that when they talk about Red Eagle, they talk about the same set of old gods, like they're not that much different. I can't remember precisely who Red Eagle made his bargain to make him a hate-filled machine with. I can't remember. But, yeah, yeah Google but, it. I, but I think that would be entirely um, that would be entirely in keeping with. Um, with with Namira stick and that sort of th- and that side of things as well, so I think that goes back no matter what the state of the Reachman is. And Felix, you're wagging your finger. What are you saying? Well, well no, I'm, I'm not wagging my finger, but it, it's to add on to something of like this. This is me wagging my finger. This is me like ah, hang on. One ah, okay. <laughs> it's it's. I have two different wags. Okay, this is like no, no, no. This is yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on. Um, mm-hmm. There's a book called Aspects of Lord Hersey. Ooh. And that kind of heavily infers that several other Daedra are just a kind of aspect of um, Lord Hersey, who's kind of like the chief of, I guess you could call it the Reachman Pantheon. And the implied aspects of Lord Hersey are Molag Ball, mm-hmm. Malakath, Mehrunes Dagon, and Namira. Ooh. Yeah. So if that's definitely something that I think some people in the chat should take a look at uh, as a book, because that really informs, uh, that's like a great little piece of Reachman lore right there, because it tells you Mm. um, how they view um, her scene and their kind of micro pantheon, as it were. I get a lot of um, 
sort of similar vibes to that as uh, as the in real life uh, religion Hinduism has, where you have mm-hmm. various different aspects of the gods. So, like, there's there's uh, the tiger riding goddess Durga, but she also has various other aspects that are either more like vicious or motherly or based on a certain transformation or when she's paired with another deity. And so that technically means it's like different. It's a different goddess, but it's still mm-hmm. like associated with her. And so Aspects of Lord Hersing kind of says that these are all separate gods, but they're part of, I guess, you might be able to say a Lord Hersing oversoul almost. And it's really yeah. fascinating. <clears throat> that, that ties in. That's the interpretation I got. I don't know about anyone else. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about that in terms of in, in relation to what gets said in On Oblivion. Because um, the, um, oh, I've forgotten the guy's name, uh, someone or other, Zainas, whoever wrote the book, actually says that he's not really sure whether he can't find Hircine and he's not sure whether Hircine is a Daedric prince or not. Ooh, which is okay. kind of the other way of way of looking at it which is it's bizarre and interesting we have that we we have that book in ESO which if we're assuming that it was written prior to ESO and there wasn't books getting dropped by Hermes Mora everywhere um or everywhere rather um but then by the time the first pocket guide gets written Hercene manages to establish himself as a prince between those sorts of time frames. So okay. So I'm just trying to think how that sort of thing ties into Hercene's status as a not quite Daedric prince and maybe something else just to move off on a complete tangent. Um if we if we're looking at Hercene as a reflection of other Daedra or other Daedra intertwined with the nature of Hercene <coughs> that that's 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 a little interesting, and it possibly makes me think. It's almost it almost makes me think again, going back to um, going back to the needs for a second. If the needs created the celestials, what kind of deal did the um, did the Reachmen have in at least giving Hercene his current position? Were they were they in a position to influence the politics of Oblivion? Uh I really don't know. That's definitely something that is kind of up to personal interpretation at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, because, like, all, all we really know uh, about the Reachmen is they first kind of start to be mentioned <clears throat> by the time of the first Nordic Empire. Yeah. We know that they existed before that, but it, it's never really been fully established or explained when we only first really hear about the Reachmen, quote, taking back the reach after the collapse of the first Nordic empire. That's really their first introduction into the proper established lore timeline. So what happened before then in terms of um, solidifying um, Hercene's place as a Daedra or how they viewed him as a Daedra, maybe that happened, maybe it did. We just simply don't have enough information about that particular aspect. Mm -hmm. But um, one thing we do know uh, from before uh, the Nordic Empire was during the time of the Dureni hegemony is that it's implied that um, the the old Mary slash Dureni sort of first taught them magic. So it it seems that they were kind of like a, I guess, a tributary state. The, the Dureni were like, hey, we mm-hmm. technically, you know, protect you now. And they're like, that's fine, just don't set foot in here. And the Dureni were like, that's fine with us. Just don't be friends with the Nords. I'm like, oh, God, no, we hate the Nords. This is fine. <laughs> By the way, here's a cool magic trick. You know, hey, or something, right? You guys want to see some magic? So that's like the, that's like the, the earliest start. Um, and then uh, do we want to talk about kind of like what are some of the influences we see in terms of Reachman style and belief and and language because i see a lot of influences in there well i I think it's the first thing i want to point out that's interesting about the reachmen that we meet in skyrim and and also most of them in eso is that despite the uh progression of technology relatively speaking or culture in the rest of um the elder scrolls universe these guys have not really gotten much past the fur and leather stage 
<laughs> and hey, come on, why mess with uh, the best fashion? Like, well, <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to go for the whole like Mad Max kind of thing, then I guess that sort of makes sense, you know. But real is post-apocalyptic. That's true. But I, I mean, then I think more people would be doing it. Really, I mean, can't yeah. we just sort of, you know, yeah? And um, although I do definitely get a sort of a witness me thing from Briar Hearts, but um. The thing that the thing that I get, um, but but actually one of the things that that actually raises in the back of my head was the idea that technology in elder in the Elder Scrolls universe does not advance by with time. Um, no, but uh, if anything, it seems to decrease. Yeah. Uh, well, Although, again, I, I also kind of want to raise the Longhouse Emperors as another as a potentially different example here because there's uh-huh. um, during their rebellion the. Got the Gold Coast actually are one of their big bastions of support. And the way that I read those documents that talk about how the last Longhouse Emperor relates to the Gold Coast uh-huh. is that it's kind of his favorite playground. It's his, it's, um, it's his holiday destination and uh-huh. the place where he goes to, um, he goes to relax and kind of incline with, and they kind of take that as a, as a kind of a badge of honor, like this is the place where the emperor loves to come. Uh-huh. And if that's the kind of thing that part of Cyrodiil is doing, um, can we say that um, the Reachmen are particularly low culture? Low culture, if you like. Uh-huh. I mean, they're 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 they're, they're low born. Sure, they um, the guy was making huge moves to try and get himself intermarried with um, within the Nedic aristocracy mm-hmm. but and to try and legitimize himself basically mm-hmm. but i don't think that we can definitely say that they were all they are all savages or barbarians or whatever yeah. um, simply for that because because he can at least move in those sorts of refined serodilic circles like that's the interpretation i got from it yeah well johnny and chad also pointed out correctly i think that the dunmer have a tendency to lean towards you know bugs and leather and building weapons out of mm-hmm. teeth and shit like that and I, I think that's a that's a, a very accurate um, uh, uh, question because the or observation because um, in the case of the Dunmer, part of their uh, uh, part of uh, the the equipment that they use was just this is what they had you know on hand, but it's a hard to mm. ignore the fact that um, that uh, the Dunmer are walking around in leather and uh, and chitin. But the entire island of Morrowind is filled to the brim with ebony, which is a fantastic thing to build armor and weapons out of. And yet they haven't really seemed to have harnessed that yet. And um, maybe there's more to ebony than just getting it out of the dirt and then smelting it. I don't know. But uh, I would suggest that um, one of the reasons, like, if you want to kind of, it feels a little bit like a cop-out to me, but if you want to kind of argue that Maybe the reason why the Dunmer looked like war or the Ashlanders, I should say, wore the equipment that they did was because they uh, culturally respected it. Not because it was the best, not because they could do better, but just because that's what you did, you know? Um, There's a very strong sense of culture and tradition. And to kind of go back to what James was saying about, um, you know, culturally low is I'm really hesitant to imply that any culture real or fictional is low because we're yeah. looking at it from our cultural perspective and not necessarily from that culture's perspective because it's completely unknown and unknowable mm-hmm. to us because it's just mm-hmm. completely different um however um it is worth pointing out that uh there is also a difference in terms of how we see um the reachman in Skyrim is because we're only dealing with a faction of the Reachmen, which is the Forsworn. Mm-hmm. All Forsworn are Reachmen, but not all Reachmen are Forsworn. Right. Yeah. Good right. point. Good so, absolutely. Thanks for re- thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, there there is that that difference, right? Mm-hmm. So um, with the Reachmen that are basically split between two provinces, possibly three, if you include like maybe parts <clears throat> of Hammerfell. Um, they're going to be different. And so just the name of the Longhouse Emperors um, from ESO tells us that they probably had a Longhouse. And it could be just, you know, for the sake of imagination, it could be very similar in design to an Orcish Longhouse because they had very early connections to the Orcs. So maybe Orcish or Orsimer architecture 
mm-hmm. is similar to traditional Richman architecture. We don't mm-hmm. really know that for certain, but that's you know a possibility that could be real. Um, whereas the reason why we don't see any of that, and there's only like these camps, is because uh, the Forsworn started with Ulfric doing what he does best, which is being a giant prick. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> like, here's here they are thinking, yeah, we're going to take back the Reach, and they take back Markarth, which traditionally was their city. Mm-hmm. And like, hey, cool, old Dwemer city, let's set up camp here. And then Ulfric was all like, Skyrim for the Nords! And, like, kicked <laughs> them out, and they were like, this is BS, mm-hmm. and that's why we have the Forsworn committing terrorism in like the countryside of the Reach. I'm yeah. not justifying it, but I'm just saying that's how we got to that situation. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they're there with like you know the admittedly very cool looking like uh, tribal esque um, clothing that actually kind of reminds me a lot of um, uh, classic like antiquity uh, pagan Germanic shaman clothes and sure. also a mix of maori clothing i find it's like this weird hmm. hybridization especially when you see some of the Bretons with like their face paints and tattoos reminds me a lot of maori tattoos yeah. mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. some of the uh the like sort of feathered stuff on their shoulder case remind me of like the feathered capes that the maori wear so i kind of thought okay those are some interesting like kind of vague uh visual um cues to take from real life cultures um but that's why like you know the 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 thing with the forsworn and scarred is it feels kind of like they tried to make them into the um noble savage as mm-hmm. it were yeah it's like oh they just live off the land and this is their land and oh no here we are the colonizer we're the kicking we're, them off. Oh, we no, were the monsters all know, along <laughs> blah 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 nonsense but um that's only one portion Right, yeah. and we don't get to see the rest of them. So it, it's actually very important to remember that what we see of the Reachman and the Forest Warren is not the entirety of this cultural group. And especially with mountainous peoples, there tends to be a shit ton of diversity in mountainous areas. Like, look at Switzerland, four different mm. official languages and culture groups in like an area the size of one tiny Canadian province, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, the, the native languages all along the West coast of North America, there's like 20 different language families compared to like the five in the central plains, even though it's in like a smaller area, like, you know, it's, mm. it's, there's going to be a greater amount of diversity. And so you can't paint all of it with a brush as like there are savages and just, you know, human hearts and, all of them worship Hagrid. It's like mm-hmm. there's definitely different. There's some different variations here. <laughs> Hagridans, though, we should talk about it because they are culturally significant. No, it's just for a second there. Yeah. I, you said Hagravens, and I heard Hagrid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's like this literal giant who like walks around the mountain, just like, "All right, my fellow wizards." I should not have said that. I should not have said that. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, also, um, Chris, earlier you said, you know, Mad Max, and I thought, like, uh, instead of Mad Max Fury Road, Mad Max Fusro Da. <laughs> oh, oh God. Yeah. Okay. Um, Feel free to kick me off the podcast for that one. It's bad. Well, let's just let's just talk over that. Uh, <laughs> So um, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about something that's a little bit closer to my knowledge base, which is the idea of the Briarhearts and uh, what the hell is going on with Briarhearts exactly. Um, they kind of tell you a little bit about Briarhearts in uh, a couple of books in Skyrim, I believe. Uh, and then there's one. You can overhear yeah. doing the Briarheart ceremony if you see mm, here. Right. And I then there's right with me. There's a book in the Orsinium uh, uh, expansion for ESO that talks a lot about uh, that. That talks specifically about where Briarhearts come from, which was something they didn't answer in in Skyrim. And I'm really glad they did because uh, it didn't make any sense. Um, and um, so I, I want to kind of like. Uh, so first off, it's it, you know it's important to remember that uh, Briarhearts in the uh, the the there's there's Briarhearts the thing the little heart shaped 
some bitch. And then there's the Briarheart like warriors and the Briarheart warriors are supposedly picked from the most elite, toughest, hardiest warriors that the, uh, that the, uh, Forsworn can get their hands on. Yeah. And, um, and uh, uh, the, the, what, they're, what they do is they, so they basically tell these warriors, we're going to do this ritual on you and you're going to become an unstoppable killing machine and then we're going to release you on, uh, you know, on, on our enemies and you're going to, you know, do, do your thing. Um, and the, uh, the sort of the dialogue that happens when, the, when you read books about the Briarheart warriors is very much sort of like these are people who have given up their life basically for uh for the for you know the um so once again we're kind of starting Mm -hmm. to delve into the the terrorism uh aspect of uh of reach of uh of um no funny of the forsworn um and uh one of the uh so the thing that sticks out the most about uh uh, briarheart warriors is the fact that they've had their hearts torn out of their bodies and replaced with this thing that looks like uh, sort of like a prickly pear kind of, and like a artichoke. Yeah, a little bit like yeah, a little bit like an artichoke. And um, the uh, it, it's it's interesting to note that uh, that ESO explains where the Briarheart thing comes from. The actual um, oh, the thuggy cult. Yeah, good idea. Uh, about the Bri- the Briarheart uh, object itself actually is grown by the ra- by the Hag Ravens. Um, from a corpse that they've magically enchanted and buried in the ground near other Briarheart trees, and um, the the sort of the the alchemical magical ritual that they put these corpses through, um, eventually a tree sprouts from this corpse, and the fruit that flowers on the tree is the Briarheart itself. So, what we've uh, so as far as like you know metaphysics and myth, myth and uh, mythical themes go we've already got a uh a, 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 the fruit of a flower which is really like relevant obviously um and then we've also got uh the idea of a uh uh what, what's the word i'm looking for um uh, a, a a a gift of power that springs uh from the ground um and uh yes that's right uh, is it just the dragonborn dlc you can do it but yeah you can you can actually yeah ri- you can actually sneak up behind briar hearts mm-hmm. and rip their heart out and it kills them instantly which is hilarious yeah. um and then uh and then the uh uh uh, 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 uh so so the idea of giving a uh a, a fruit which is the uh which is sort of like uh, uh, in mythology is frequently uh, an object of uh, power or potency uh, or potential um, mm-hmm. into the body you know, from the earth, which is uh, astonishingly powerful. And then putting it into the body of a mortal means that you're definitely going to get some, some, good, some good shit out of that. And specifically uh, the dead as well. It has right. to come from corpses, which makes me think Namira again, but anyway. Well, um, but, but, it's, but it's life springing mm-hmm. from death. So you've got yeah. another, you know, you, you've got an, another uh, uh, interesting uh, a little note to, to put on that. And uh, as far as the quality of the tree and the way that, you know, uh, and the idea of, de- of trees growing from the dead does kind of tickle a little bit of the Arthurian mythology, but we're uh, not, not much. So I'm going to skip over that. Um, but the idea is that uh, then this this warrior who is sacrificing himself for the greater good is um, is also volunteering for this operation or for this ritual, which is mm-hmm. also very relevant. And uh, and then the. uh and then the heart is impl- this briar heart is implanted in the chest to replace the uh, the heart of the body, which is what gives life to a human. Um, and then from so what you're doing is you're replacing the mortal engine with a uh, divine engine. In other words, an engine for an engine that's being that's been brought from a divine source. In other words, the world. Um, and that's very uh that's very heavy with power it it sort of it 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 sort of makes sense that they would be uh uh generating the you know these warriors of uh, uh unstoppable uh, like i i know that we've all played skyrim and gotten into a fight with us briarheart and then kind of went you know i don't really need to necessarily be here right now um <laughs> well, speak for yourself i literally had a sword named now you fucked up that one shot with everything <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah eventually but like or especially early on in the uh in the in the in the game briar hearts are a fucking problem 
Um, uh, but I mean, you could say <laughs> the same as thing. As the frost roll I, I, I was about to bring up that fucking frost roll. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so you get a, uh, a, a, a but it's really hard to ignore the idea of a warrior of some kind or a or power of some sort being brought about by removing the heart and it obviously brings us back to lorcanic mythology yeah. and yeah, um exactly. and uh and so uh you you sort of start thinking immediately like it does the act of removing the heart uh count as mantling lorcan or is it a uh uh, or is it, or does it not head down that road at all? Is in fact what you're does the uh, um, the power of the Briar Hearts, and this is what I'm suggesting: the power of the Briar Hearts does not come from removing their hearts and then bringing them back to life. It comes from removing their hearts and then replacing it with something else and bringing them back to life. It's a form of almost a, well, um, almost a form of lich them if you like in the um, right. in the yeah. more tra- in the more traditional sense yeah. the heart yeah. is the phylactery mm-hmm. um but there's part of me that's also vaguely thinking that if you're using if you're getting something out of a tree for this mm-hmm. um is it doing is it doing something similar to how the hist handle souls uh, and uh, almost start, and, and start pulling it around i was actually about to head in a very different direction than that which is <laughs> that the uh the oh. trees spring from a corpse that has been enchanted yeah. And then you get this object which brings life back from death, which run, which uh, creates a lot of parallels with soul gems. So maybe the Briar Hearts are functionally similar to soul gems. They're yep. life captured from a body and then imbued and then, you know, forced into another body. Or almost reverse soul gems, because it's not like there's actually life in the corpse to begin with, but it's ah, bringing but a life. Looky who knows so much. It turns out that a corpse was only mostly dead. And as you know, <laughs> mostly dead means slightly alive. Yeah, true enough. To be fair, that is one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but no, I... I uh, to go back to what you were saying about if it's a form of mantling Lorcan, I don't really think so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because the heart is being removed, and that was that had more to do with convention and the birthing of Shea Gorath, um, as opposed to mantling Lorcan himself. Because Lorcan was Lorcan before um, his heart was removed. That was just kind of still was price that he had to pay in order to still have an influence on the mortal world or the mortal realm. Oh, okay. Um, sure. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And like he was Lorcan. He was Lorcan after his, his, his heart was removed too. So, yeah. And, um, and, 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 but, and the other point that I would also point out is that Lorcan's, the rest of Lorcan's guts are somewhere around Tamriel as well. Um, the rest of his body uh, might have been thrown up into the earth, uh, up into the skies, but that doesn't mean that there are other bits of Lorcan scattered around Amriel as well, which there are, and I don't really want to expand on that. And, yeah, I mean, we've, we've already been over my heresy, which is that Lorcan really shouldn't be called the missing god because he's kind of everywhere. Right. But, like, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a big yeah. misnomer. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. before we get too off track, I do want to pull it back to the Reachman and uh, the Briarheart trees and how that works, mm-hmm. um, and how it's probably kind of a form of of lichdom. But what you could also see it as is. Um, Life after death, which is uh, if LJ can actually start speaking soon, because he's way more of the Namara expert than I am. Yeah. Um, that is partially within Namara's realm. Is it's about using all this disease and stuff to fester, but that it's also cleansing in a way, mm-hmm. cleanses and purifies. You know, um, pus is a sign that the wound is healing in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, that could be a part of. Um, or sorry, no, not Namara, Peria. 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 I'm an That's where I thought that was where you were going with that. Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that could be uh, part of Periite's realm. Mm-hmm. And how there's this kind of cyclical nature to it, which to me would also explain why Periite chose the form of a dragon to mock Akatosh and that sort of continuing cycle as well. Mm-hmm. Look at you, dragon bitch. I can do that too. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, Ooh, we're all cyclical. Look at us. <laughs> Ooh, look, it's the wheel. Ain't nobody seen that before in this bitch on earth. Like, Yo. I, I can see something. Hey, there you are. Hey, he's here now. Great. Hello. So hopefully he can either prove me wrong or reinforce my idea. 
So, okay. So what was wrong with that? Apparently I was using my <clears throat> headphones and what wasn't connecting for some fucking reason. Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's happened to me. But, uh, okay. So what you were saying Felix, was about, you was asking about the tree symbolism with Perryite. And there is some, like a lot actually, which I'm still trying to figure out myself because I know in Skyrim he has that dying tree and that's his shrine. Yeah. And he has the um, fucking something else. I know that um, in ESL there's a quest yeah. that actually takes place in High Rock. And it's basically um, and there's a cave and there's like a fucking tree that somebody got turned into. Right. I'm I'm trying to yeah, okay, so mm-hmm. this, no, wait. this could be related to it. Mm-hmm. Um we also, we also know that um uh trees and like sacred groves are very important to witches and wiccans. Um because there's that same kind of you know growth uh age wisdom rebirth renewal because the tree can you know survive all the seasons and it still continues yeah. on with the cycle mm-hmm. so i think there there are some kind of um like irl influences that helped influence the sort of design or um the methodology of design that went into designing the reachman um it also um for me anyway uh while we're trying to find this other quest <clears throat> is we know that the region primarily worship her scene um, and that they're very kind of tribal in appearance. And they also revere hag ravens. And mm-hmm. the big question is why? Why worship this kind of magical, objectively awful things? Think about it. Hag ravens help create briar hearts, which is an elevated kind mm-hmm. of being hag ravens have created a kind of deal with the devil where they you know cease to be a proper mortal soul and they become this like twisted horrible monster yeah mm-hmm. but um it's it's still this kind of higher level and an ascension that still involves um some aspect of the natural world oh well um, I, actually i can i can kind of answer why they worship them in the first place um, the, there's, especially in older, uh, 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 cultures, there's a big difference between worshiping something because you think it's great and worshiping something because it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, the, the deal that the, the, the deal that the, uh, Briarheart or excuse me, that the, uh, Reachmen have with, uh, Hag Ravens, or at least the Forsworn have with Hag Ravens might be one of like, if we bring you all these neat treats and stuff, not only will you not fucking murder us. But you'll also, you know, uh, do the do this thing for us that will help us fight people and get you more stuff. So it's a sim, it's a symbiotic relationship, but it's a symbiotic relationship with these horrible goddamn brain eating creatures that could destroy your ass. And so it's, you know, it's a little bit of it. Yeah. You know, except for the one that wants to marry you. And, well, but she, OK, <laughs> in her defense, she had a wonderful personality. OK. <laughs> Or at least I think she did. (laughs) I cannot wait to consummate our marriage. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. (laughs) I'm actually. uh, Has has everybody read the um, the uh, Polygon interview for the 25th anniversary of the Elder Scrolls? No, I I haven't. Not yet. No. Read it because they talk a lot about. uh, about how they made quests for Morrowind. Um, okay. And uh, Ken Rolston specifically says that he had a uh, a, a habit of doing, like, um, I guess, uh, uh, template quests, I, I, I think you call it, I think it was what he called them, which are like, you know, okay, I need you to give me three naked Nord quests, and I need, you know, you know that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and it's literally like, yeah, liter- literally <laughs> like... You know, uh, in one particular case, naked Nord, and um, uh, and that that's sort of like um, like like a lot of like the the when I, when I play the Hangover Quest in Skyrim, that's a lot of what I'm thinking of is like, you know, cookie, you know, like FedEx quests, I guess right. <laughs> is um, what I'm getting at. Although I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm laughing a little hard because I'm just imagining now like a 
a version of James Jonah Jameson or whatever, mm-hmm. um, sitting there at the desk like, I need Nords, I need naked Nords and Moe. <laughs> we only got two, I need three. <laughs> Get me pictures of naked Nords. Yes, it's like, you got me one, no, I need like three times as many. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Um, but that, that article... Uh, is that the one where it's just titled Morrowind and Oral History? Because yep. I think I have it open. That's the one. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I, I haven't read it yet, but like I have it open in a tab, which means I'm going to read it at some point. <laughs> yeah, Ken Wilson um, at yeah. one point or another calls Kirkbride crazier than a rat in a drain pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're like, hey, listen, you need crazy. You just don't need it as your lead team designer. Yeah, exactly. That's so what he I, says, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that's a hell of an but, interview. Uh, but yeah, um, so, sorry, Chris, I kind of uh, interrupted you there. Yeah, we went, we went right off the rails. Uh, um, I did, I did I also want to mention, uh, I did also want to mention uh, parallels with, uh, somebody actually brought this up in chat of uh, uh, having your heart removed and Pelinal, who apparently had a, a hole where his heart was and a, a, ray, a red light was shining out of it. Um, and, um, and that Which may have been very Lorconic, right? Ex- yeah, it's very Lorconic, but also, uh, it also sort of, um, what makes you wonder whether or not, uh, um, uh, well, I, I, you know, if you want to go conspiracy level deep in it, you could be like, was Pelinal actually a, 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 a Reachman? Was he actually a, a Briarheart? But I would suggest that Pelinal had his heart replaced as well, mm-hmm. just not mm-hmm. by a fruit. Um, have you guys talked about Ingrif the Undying? Uh, no, we haven't. Um, but hang on, just one quick thing, uh, briefly about um, Pelinal. Like, you can choose to see it as like the that Pelinal is an anagram for whatever it is, like freeze something, inter uh, oh, lunar yeah. Nernian assault lattice or something like that. Oh, right, I remember um, that. Um, wh- wh- whatever the full one is, I can never remember it. Um, but um, what his heart was replaced with was um, in a again kind of utterly mimicking the birth of Lorcan. When his heart was removed, that was um, the birth of Sheagorath, the divine spark. And since Pelinol was known as being really mad, mm-hmm. I think that's what replaced his heart was like the divine spark of madness, as it were. Which is why Pelinol was just like, "Hey, I'm just going to murder all elves." Doesn't matter. I'm a genocidal maniac because he was mad. I think that could be um, mm-hmm. a good example. Well, but does, that's, does that's from that like, from that angle from does life. removing the heart in fact impact your ability to feel compassion in that respect? I would say yes because mm-hmm. uh, the heart is the only thing that can know love, and if you can't know love, you can't break the cycle, and mm-hmm. you can't become amaranth. And that would also explain why at the end of Coda, uh, Lorcan appears in the center of, uh, of um, Akatosh's chest. No, no, yeah, yeah, backwards. Akatosh appears in the center. Oh, it's center the other way around, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Of Lorcan's chest, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Because, because that's the actual marriage. The marriage mm-hmm. between Jubal and Vivek is just um the witnessing perhaps of the remarriage of Lorcan and Akatosh. It's it's a reverse myth echo. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah. Um yeah. I love how we also, always manage to find a way to talk about Coda. I also, it's it's I also, one of the it's one of the squares on Selectos Lorecast Bingo. So talk about Coda. I also <laughs> wanted to kind of flag that there was um actually a line in Varieties of Faith, I think it is, um that highlights that Lorcan is separated from his divine center sometimes involuntarily. Yeah. So there is at least some myths out there that saying Lorcan voluntarily yanked his own heart out because or had his heart yanked out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, um and was he was thoroughly on board with the idea, which is much closer to what Bri- um what's happening with Briarhearts here, which are the are the, are the Briarhearts acting out those forgotten right. Lorcanic myths. Reminds well, me purely of the as a myth about Mac. Yeah. 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 How yeah, Mac was, um, he was, uh, he, he, well, he got pissed off by the fact that he killed Lorca and he's just like, gonna be the most metal fucking god ever and just ripped his own fucking skin off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 T- tore off his shame or something like that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, actually, uh, LJ, were you you were earlier you were trying to bring up was it Angoff the Undying? Um. Yeah. He's um. Just, I'm trying to like I'm reading about him now, and I was reading about him like earlier this week because I thought he's always had a cool character design. Mm-hmm. But he's a rich man who I think was a Briarheart, but he was brought back to life, and he has some really weird shit going on with him because he has like vines growing outside of his body. Yeah. Well, he used to work. He used to serve Molag Ball. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of him now, and it's awfully hard to tell if he's a Briarheart or not because the that section of his chest is covered up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But like, yeah, he's got vines coming vine. out of his ass. Yeah, what's yeah. that about? <laughs> not to mention, he has like these. His ability is that he has like these seeds that he literally places in people's corpses and turns them to bring them back to life, mm-hmm. which makes me wonder if he's like because he died and got reborn. Yeah, something caused his corruption that he's already undead before. Now he's like double undead, and now he's some weird zombie tree man who. Yeah. Mm. He's become a gateway for other things yeah. to come through. Pretty much. Mm. Mm. Well, here's, here's also a question. Then, um, are then Hag Ravens and or Briarhearts agents of the Daedra? They're agents of something. Well, what the Hag Ravens uh, implied to be a yeah. result of the Wild Hunts originally? Huh, hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's, um, I think in ESL, there's a book. I know, I wish Jonathan was here, but I know he mentioned it before. There's like a book that describes that a head grievance might be the result of a wild hunt that went wrong. Oh. One of the many monsters that came out of it. But at the same time, that's weird because there's rituals to become a head grievance. So, you know. Well, there's a ritual well, to become the wild hunt. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a bunch of rituals, right? Because Ifre yeah, didn't do that bang up of a job in really setting the laws of nature because it seems they can be abused all the time. Mm-hmm. Or snapped in half in, in some cases. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, if we're going to talk about other um, famous figures from Reachman history, then we have to talk about the Longhouse Emperors. Okay. Yes. Um, basically, it was a very short period. It was only during the interregnum uh, after the collapse of the, I'm assuming, Riemann Empire. That was like the first real one. And it began with Durkarak, the Black Drake, in the early 6th century of the Second Era. Um, we don't know much about this guy, except that it seems he kind of unified either the whole reach or most of it. And in the sheer chaos of the interregnum, managed to um, gain influence over the Colobian estates and then take the imperial city. Uh, and then it ended with Leovic in second era, uh, the year 577 of the second era. And he was the last one before um, Emperor Baron Aquilarius, who's the guy who caused the soul burst in the events of ESO. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, early 6th century, so like early 500s to mid to late 500s. So there's only, I think, there's only like three or four kings in total. Um, But they did at least manage to um, unify enough people and take enough power that they got to sit on the imperial throne. So for a while, they had control of White Gold Tower. So what did they do with that? Like... (laughs) It, it seems well, they just kind of didn't do anything. Well, who threw them out? That, that, I think like it's really cool because it kind of implies that everyone was okay with the rule until they was like, hey, we should like not outlaw danger worship. And everyone's like, well, no, fuck that. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like, hey, guys, the danger are fine. And people were like, okay, like we could accept it for like the first two guys who are like, listen, like do your thing, but I'm going to worship Daedra. Then when they tried to say, like, the Daedra are A-OK, then all of Cyrodiil had a huge problem with that. Quite rightly, though, given the history of Cyrodiil being slaves under Daedra-worshipping elves who had flesh Mm -hmm. gardens. So, I mean, yeah, I I see why they hate Look, OK, it's a hard sell. All right. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, OK, I know you had a bad time, but let me just tell you about the benefits of crack cocaine. Maybe it could have been better. OK, maybe it could have been better. You guys want food? Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) 
everybody. We're going to select this Lark Cast. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but, but no, like, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's definitely yeah. one of those things where they seem to kind of um, indirectly cause their own downfall. But they were also mm-hmm. ruling during such a chaotic time that something would have taken them out either way. So it's just well, like this fun little footnote in the, you know, annals of history in Tamriel. It's also interesting yeah. that the first emperor was called a black drake, which implies some kind of connection with or some reverence of the dragons, which is also interesting because it's like if you look at the time frame and there wasn't that many years between the longhouse emperors and emperor Atropus, which kicked out all the Akabiri. It kind of makes you wonder if this the first longhouse emperor was maybe close to emperor Atropus at some hmm. point in time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's the black dragon. And we know by Red Eagle, you know, they did have some kind of connection with the Nordic ruins and they used to intern their dead, the ancient Otmoran way. But so, you know, very interesting. I think that's like the first really strong connection. Mm. Actually, another um, connection with um, the Reachmen and. Various other gods, or, or so not gods, um, peoples, <clears throat> is that uh, Bretons and Forsworn are actually quite clear that they do not consider each other kin. Oh yeah. So there's been this clear kind of separation of um, of their culture. So Bretons look at them as like, no, they're they're not us, and even Forsworn will like cut you if you suggest that they're <laughs> Breton. <laughs> what do you say <laughs> about like, me? What did you <laughs> you call me no. all right <laughs> no but i mean it it it, it does kind of um beg the difference well they've kind of been through enough that they are an entirely separate people at this point that um it's it's not it's not like um it's not like they've been through a relatively brief separation because of what the nords did um what the mm-hmm. nords did um and then they're rejoined to high rock they're 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 very much a, they're very much a culture apart. So, right, uh, and they're that, also that kind of goes. like the the they're also just in a very remote, inaccessible area, mm. right? So it's going to lead to isolation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and a very very different sort of value set. Almost it's that it was mm. the way that you were talking about um, about terrorism early and mo- mountainous terrorists. Got, uh, it does always remind me of the thuggy um, in in India is kind of what I'm thinking, which was um, which were a religious cult basically um, who lived who lived in the Himalayas and base and would come down out of the hills and randomly strangle people for religious reasons. Um, it, and they kind of went on for about 300 years before the British decided they really didn't like travelers getting waylaid and killed. Um, and so they, and so they wiped them out. I'm just kind of think, uh, I'm just kind of oh, thinking of, yeah. I'm just kind of thinking of the, of uh, the Reachman and the, and the force one in, in particular. And that's um, potentially in that, potentially in that sort of light. If you think about the way that, at least the way that it gets presented in the Elder Scrolls five, uh, Red Eagle gets presented as, kind of the emblem of the Forsworn. Mm-hmm. And in in the way that he gets constructed, he's this endless symbol of of pyrrhic conflict, basically, that he he very explicitly sacrifices his entire self, which is analogous to the way Briarhearts work, but it's also more than what a typical Briarheart undergoes. Because right. he can be brought back and reused again and again and again until the reach is free. Mm-hmm. Um and the the way that the fourth horn seem to operate seems to be along that along that sort of motif. It's almost a religious obligation for them to carry on fighting no matter what the hell goes down, um, which kind of reminded me an awful an awful lot of the thuggy um, because of how they operated and, and why um, because they were both similar similarly isolated mountainous people and they killed people because their religion said so. Yeah. <laughs> in essence but hmm. yeah sorry that that um, that doesn't really link too much but i just wanted to to, to, chi- uh, to chime in with that well mm-hmm. there was something va- there was something vaguely linked to it and i've completely killed everything else well i'm trying uh, to uh, yeah I'm, I'm trying to think about um 
other religions that put a great deal of emphasis on uh, 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 warfare with other culture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, above and beyond, well, it, it depends on your interpretation because it's actually right. a lot. Um, and and that's kind of where I'm. Why I'm not really saying anything is because yeah. I, I'm not coming up with anything that's really airtight. Yeah. The closest um, ones I can think of is uh, the Aztecs, because okay. the the origin of the Aztecs involves their god, who's basically this god of war and human sacrifice. Right. And it's yeah. part of why the Aztecs were basically like enemies with everyone around them, because they just pissed off everyone around them. Um, the the start of the Aztecs actually lies in what's currently like northern Mexico. And they received uh, like one, it's kind of implied that they were kicked out because they lost a war. They had to, they got into a conflict with someone that was stronger than them and they had to flee. And this is where the sort of modern Mexican uh, state symbol of the eagle with the snake on top of the cactus is is because they received a vision saying that um, their future of a great empire would be located on the site where they found um, an eagle clutching a serpent in its beak. Hmm. And when they got down to what was then Lake, um, Lake Texcoco, um, they saw that symbol and they said, okay, well, here's where we build our city. And that's how Tenochtitlan became basically the Venice of the Americas. Um, but their god became unhappy at their decadence and how, you know, um, good and lazy they had become. And he demanded war and sacrifice. And so um, what the priests did, and this is a story that forever haunts my fucking dreams, and this actually <laughs> fucking happened. Mm. They went to a neighboring kingdom and offered, hey, you know, let's have better relations send, you know, your princess to marry one of our princes. And the guy thought, all right, cool. These people seem nice. Big fucking mistake on his part. They bring her back and they don't hear from the girl in a while. And so this king comes over to see his daughter and see like how the marriage is going. And they bring him to a temple and there is a priest wearing her skin as he's (laughs) praying to this god. And so, of course, war breaks out. But the Aztecs win, and this is the birth of the first Aztec actual empire. So that's the actual religion that comes to mind of like, no, 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 fuck this. Like, go go be merciless and be bloody and like seek mm-hmm. violence on other people. I blood for the blood god, motherfucker. It's like, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that mm-hmm. really was classic Aztec, um, Aztec religion. Um, other religions, obviously, in the area were similar but also had a great deal of differences in terms of which gods were important to them but the aztecs were like constantly at war because they were basically uh doing this at the behest of you know their god of war and human sacrifice Mm -hmm. which is part of why when the spanish showed up people think oh how did the spanish only beat them with like 200 conquistadors they didn't the spanish talked to other natives who were like oh we fucking hate the Aztecs." yeah (laughs) and the spanish said cool, so here's some guns, go kill them. And Mm -hmm. then they did. And that's why the Aztecs fell so quickly. So that's the one that comes to mind. Not, you know, Christianity or Islam where you can, you know, corrupt it. I mean, there's like violent Buddhists in Myanmar doing Mm -hmm. horrific shit. Mm -hmm. So sure, like other religions that we have um, can obviously be corrupted. But in terms of a religion or a cult that specifically was all about the war and the death and the violence. Exactly, that that looks it in the face. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, uh, like, I- I'm glad you brought up Blood for the Blood God because I was going to say, aside from Warhammer, I can't think anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, come on, man. I got you covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're slowly but surely morphing into a 40K cast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. Johnny has pointed out, though, that the Picts are something, are an influence on the Reachmen as well. Definitely. Um, because there's, there's the yeah, Pictish yeah. names. I don't know if mm-hmm. we know enough about the Pictish gods. I know nothing. Uh, yeah. No, but no. there is there is the horned god of Wicca, which in a lot of like depictions and imagery looks a lot like the uh, Briarheart Warriors. I'm just saying. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. 
with the horn with the skull, the deer yeah, skull like and the, the horns. The deer yeah, with, like, all the massive yeah. horns. Yeah, yeah. And even like horns protruding from the front. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a little skeptical when you tie in wicker into anything else, because quite a bit of it is is a modern reconstruction. But true, yeah, yeah. That, that is a huge caveat. Um, but I'm just saying, like in terms of the the style, yeah, the, the stylistic choice, it feels like that was very much an influence on um, mm-hmm. on at least the male warriors and Briarhearts that we see in yeah. in Skyrim. Um, but in terms of the names, yeah, the, the names of um, of the Forsworn and Reachmen in general definitely seem to have like Pictish, Gay, uh, Scottish, Gaelic, Norse, and even like a little bit of like Turkic, Central Asian language influences as well. Um, obviously, I don't think that like that's the entire language structure, mm-hmm. but in terms of um, what they decided to name these people, there's definitely that kind of uh, classic rural Highland, uh, Scotland kind of idea to it yeah no, not and much else like we, we don't see yeah. reachmen and tartans for example yeah although i now i think about it it does the, the parallels do go a bit a bit bigger in terms of the picts um because if we cast the nords as the scots in this case um because the scot the scots kind of mi- migrated over from ireland um at, yeah, at, some, yeah. at some point or other and esen- essentially almost just joined with um um, joined with whatever tribes were in um, were in Lower Britain at that point, in pretty much wiping the Picts out. Um, they were ca- they were caught entirely between a rock and a hard place um, in terms of what happened to them historically, which kind of feels quite like how um, how the reach how the reachmen function here. Um, they're kind of cr- they're kind of caught between being Bre- um, between Bretons and Nords and steadily being squeezed to extinction in in various ways. Yeah, which would also partially explain um, what we had talked about earlier uh, that Chris had brought up with how even after all the millennia of changes, it seems that they hadn't changed much because that's probably because it's of um, whether they realize it or talk about it openly or not, it's very important to them to kind of maintain that culture against those big odds. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like a David mm-hmm. versus Goliath. So of course they're going to hold on to that more because it's it's yeah. what they got you know it's yeah, what they it's started the, with you know like the empire's changing nords are changing we are us you know mm-hmm. yeah they, so that they, also they, explains why they haven't changed as much yeah or, or at least the fourth one haven't changed as much the rest yeah, of the region i don't know uh there is actually a book in um in, in so i think they explicitly says they kind of hang on to um um, hang on to all of the various natural portions of of the land. Sorry, it's the it's the Emperor's Guide. Um, but they kind of hang on to the the rocks, particular bushes, and the, have this connection to the landscape because it's a gift from here seen. Um, so okay. if they're thinking about their culture in general as a gift from the god, literal gift from the gods, that's an open invitation not to innovate. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like don't don't mess with God's shit. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds very skull like. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. reach just redneck skull confirmed. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I do sort of get a yelling from around here. Are you kind of vibe? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. You know, yeah, a little bit Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> the reach will rise again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mm, okay. <laughs> I better shut up because I live in Georgia and they'll hear me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay. So is is there anything else we wanna No, I think we did pretty good. Before we turn this down into like basically a meme fest. Into 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 another <laughs> into another meme cast. Um I, I think we pretty much covered everything. Uh we had um uh but, but do we want to start doing next time? Do we want to start racking out the uh, the the Daedra or the Adra? Is that what we're scheduled to do next? Uh, well, I was vaguely thinking that we should finally, finally, finally do the Raymond cast first. Yes, that's uh, right. Yeah, I, th- mm-hmm. I thought we were doing either Raymond or other like um, races like the Little Mothet and just like random tiny miscellaneous like five minutes for each kind of. Oh, uh, if you can, if you can get a list and then maybe we could take a look at it and see if we can okay. scrape a episode together. Yeah. 
Otherwise, I'm I am so down for Raymond because we all know the jokes that are coming. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be nothing but a shouter, boys. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> well, we can pull the list. I can start pulling the list together, and if we can prepare for the Raymond cast, which we know we can pull stuff for in the meantime, that's true. We have Raymond, and then whatever is left of uh, the cast after. Oh, the, uh, a connection between the skull and the Reachman with the totem of claw and bone. Um, well, what does the totem itself represent? Maybe it's not necessarily that they both use claw and bone, but that they were ra- rather using the totems to represent similar ideas. Ooh. Mm. That. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going. Discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> everybody wave good night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bye, 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 everybody. Bye.